Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and where would you like to start with the good news this week? Huh? <laughs> Lots of good things to share with you, and I'm very grateful that we're going to be talking about a couple of different things in, in particular, uh, one of which is you probably think, okay, now the book that we're going to be discussing and giving away um, is kind of interesting in the sense that it's not necessarily one of those happy, clappy Christian joy books that we often see this time of year. But it deals with getting real about what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, and especially what's happening in our relationships. You know, it's amazing to me how many people in the body of Christ are uh, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for friendship in all the wrong places. And it's, it's not too difficult to see that there's a big challenge going on in the culture, um, literally, that's a battle for the worldview. And a lot of people who have professed faith in Christ publicly are now living in ways that a lot of Bible-believing Christians would say, hey, wait a minute. You know, and I, I realized that it, it's been kind of interesting to see friendships kind of go by the wayside. I've been on the receiving end and giving end of that uh, uh, paradigm. Uh, my wife has a lot of people that we know have, people within our own family, um, have found themselves on the uh, short end of that stick, the proverbial stick, as it were. And you know, it's very interesting to see that it, we used to be able to boil this down to differences that people had where we could agree to disagree. You know, it used to be you could say, okay, we're in Southern California. Are you a Dodgers fan or Angels fan? You know, if you're in the Bay Area, I've been using baseball analogies, uh, Giants versus, well, they're gone now, but the Oakland A's. Um, Colorado, you know, I mean, what's your favorite? Is Colorado, Colorado State? I mean, take, take your pick. We used to find places where we could find a certain level of common ground. We like this sport. We like this, you know, whatever it is. And it, even if it were political, the differences, people could be civil to each other. They could get along. I don't want to say agree to disagree, but it didn't become the end all be all. You have to submit to my will type of conversation. You know, the very famous story about uh, when Thomas P. Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House out of uh, Massachusetts back during the Ronald Reagan years. And Reagan, of course, had been a Democrat when he was a uh, uh, governor of California, that he switched parties to Republican. He ran for the GOP nomination in 1980 and won, defeated Jimmy Carter, and um, took the White House in January of 1981. A lot of people didn't like Ronald Reagan. Uh, was it John Hinckley Jr. tried to kill him at one point, two months into his presidency? But he won in a landslide in 1984 for re-election uh, with George H.W. Bush as his vice president because his plan started to work, his policy started to work. He, you know, the part of education was happening. The moral majority, guys like Dr. James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, et cetera, Chuck Colson were given a seat at the table for decision making. And a lot of people in the body of Christ said, hey, this is really good. You know, we, we like to see this happening. And then there were, you know, a bit, Remember, Al Gore was a senator, I believe, from Connecticut or wherever he was from. And his wife, Tipper, was very conservative. And she led that whole Parents Music uh, Regulatory Committee, PMRC. And they had the warning labels and all the rap music. And it just made the rockers and the rappers, you know, more uptight. You know, a lot of times there's a, a faction of any population that needs some kind of uh, negative influence to rebel against or push back against. And, you know, in all honesty, I think that's kind of a biblical principle. Well, here's what I mean by that. Watch what happens to your body when you don't lift weights. 
you'll experience a certain measure of muscle atrophy, loss of strength, maybe an increase in weight because you're putting on more fat. Um, then try to start working out again, and what happens? Your arms are sore. <laughs> they hurt. But the reason you were able to build the muscle back is because you engaged in active resistance. In this case, getting on the weight machine or taking the barbells or dumbbells and pushing. There are resistance bands, you know, big old rubber band type things you can use that actually build strength and build character. And it's interesting because in the political world, reflecting what's happening in the cultural world, was reading an interesting uh, letter from a woman who listens to National Crawford Roundtable talking about her career in public education in the area where she lives, in kind of tough neighborhoods where those schools are. But she said it's been fascinating because every five or six years she moves from the elementary to middle school to high school back to elementary. And to see the changes on campus in terms of the advocacy for the LGBTQ movement, for example. And she said, you know, I know a couple other Christian teachers and we're just kind of stunned. You know, it's not just that one day during the year where they, you know, I think they call it a day of silence to draw attention to the fact that uh, LGBTQ students typically don't have a seat at the table. So now it's posters everywhere. It's every week. It's wear a different T-shirt supporting your gay pride. Number of, uh, you know, older male students and younger female, pre-puberty female students who want to transition is just skyrocketing and they're just kind of shaking their head. And the culture cultural response from a lot of Christians who are active registered voters is, well, we have to vote in men and women of integrity, et cetera, et cetera, to, you know, kind of bridge this gap and bridge the divide. But it's going to take more than just winning elections. I mean, winning elections is important, but I'm grateful for men and women who have run for office and have won, who are now given a platform, an opportunity to call the body of Christ into the world as it is, not the world that we want it to be. We do pray the Lord's Prayer and say we want, Heavenly Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But sometimes I think we forget, we sit here in the United States and go, well, we're as close to heaven as we're going to get. I mean, this is, this is pretty much it. Heaven's going to look just like Wisconsin, you know, or Iowa or wherever it is. And that's why, you know, as much as I have a growing disdain for the two major political parties, uh, my wife and I are both no party, present, uh, no party preference, Get, we're all about principles. We're all about policies. We're not about personalities. Uh, but I have to admit, I am very pleasantly surprised. I was not a big fan of the Matt Gates and company leading the coup that forced Kevin McCarthy out as the Speaker of the House. I thought he did a fine job of governing uh, kind of center-right conservative from our current county, was it? You know, somewhere in Central Valley. And they mounted this coup, they got him out, and then we had a month of no speaker in the House, which is potentially dangerous when you consider that the speaker is the third most important person in the United States government. President of the United States runs the show, vice president takes over, the president can't handle it, and if the president and vice president are somehow incapacitated, the speaker of the House becomes your new president, if not acting president, actual president. And so when conservatives push through the vote of Mike Johnson from Louisiana as the speaker of the House, a lot of us kind of went, okay. I mean, that's great. What, what about him? Well, this is a guy who is a practicing Southern Baptist. He's been a member of the Southern Baptist Leadership uh, Convention. He was a senior counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom for a number of years, 51 years of age. And he makes no bones about the fact that he's a Christian. He professes his faith. He lives out his faith. And he speaks very candidly about his faith, whether he's in Congress 
or in front of, uh, you know, the Meet the Press microphones and the uh, uh, legacy media, or as he was giving an address at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., it was a dinner, a fundraising dinner, for a group called the National Association of Christian Lawmakers. And I love the fact that he could have very easily gotten up there and said, thank you for your support. It's great to be a Christian in Washington, D.C. Please pray for us. We're doing our best. Instead, he exhorted this group. The National Association of Christian Leaders Conference was uh, called Save the Nation. And they had a whole uh, swath of different issues that they were discussing. Uh, Abortion, sexuality, gender, restoring faith in America, et cetera, et cetera. He... uh, Speaker Johnson was presented with the uh, NACL American Patriot Award for Christian Honor and Courage, and then he delivered the keynote address, and in his keynote address, he said the U.S. is facing, and I'm quoting him here, the greatest collection of challenges since World War II and the Civil War due to, are you ready for these? Competing worldviews held by the political left and right. And yet, in spite of these challenges, Speaker Johnson urged attendees to continue to trust in God. Quote, our hope is in the Lord. Our hope and our trust is in God, and that is our national motto. And it's more than just a bumper sticker slogan. It is who we are as a nation. It's what makes us different. It's what sets us apart. He then went on to uh, quote G.K. Chesterton, who uh, visited the United States 100 years ago, 1921 to be, uh, to be exact. And Chesterton's observation of the United States is something that I think a lot of Americans aren't aware of and probably would learn much from. When G.K. Chesterton returned to Great Britain from the United States, he said the U.S. is, quote, the only nation in the world that is founded on a creed. The creed is all men are created equal, endowed by God with inalienable rights, and among them the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, those are the words of the Declaration of Independence. Speaker Johnson said, we are the only nation in the world that was founded upon that premise. Emphasizing that America is at its founding, recognizing that rights come from God and not the government. Quote, and when other men seem to take our rights away from us, we have the obligation to stand and defend them. That was the premise of our country. And what we're engaged in right now is between a battle between worldviews. It's a great struggle for the future of the Republic. And his caution to the National Association of Christian Lawmakers is that we need to speak with clarity and conviction with regard to biblical values. And then he cautioned that the next generation, quote, literally has no frame of reference to the great foundational truths. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm very encouraged to see that uh, Speaker Johnson is so... uh, cavalier in his faith i'm hoping he'll show up in a couple months at the national religious broadcasters convention in nashville boy wouldn't that be great to get him on the show Tamara? that would be wonderful now something tells me that along the way because of his bold christian stance mike johnson has made a few friends and made a lot of enemies but what about those friends that were with him in the trenches but now they see him as a political operative and they're done with him Or what about the people who were okay with his Christianity as long as it didn't really define who he was, but now that he's the Speaker of the House of Representatives, it's kind of problematic. Not many of us engage in a friendship with anybody and then say, you know what? Nah, I I hope this friendship only lasts two years. 
You know, it's kind of like when a husband and wife get married, they go to the altar and the vows will they'll pledge till death do us part. Well, what if, just what if, they said, I promise to love, honor, cherish, obey you, and treasure you until I get tired of this. Never going to happen. We want to be good friends forever. And yet, what do you do when a friendship falls apart? Well, Elizabeth Lang Thompson has taken this topic on in her brand new book with the title, When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Liz will join me coming up on the other side of this break to discuss this. And it's Good News Friday, and she left a book for us to give away as well. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Author Elizabeth Lang Thompson will talk about what happens when a friendship falls apart. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Joining me today on The Bottom Line Show once again is Elizabeth Lang Thompson. Uh, she's an author, she's a minister, she's a speaker and novelist, and she's written a powerful new book that uh, really gets to the heart of an issue that a lot of people are curious about but maybe don't want to talk all that much about. The book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elizabeth Lang Thompson, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic, and I'm grateful you were willing to dig into it with me. Well, thank and thank you for writing the book because you know how many people have ministries they don't want, right? I mean, it's like yeah, but every, you think in my heart of hearts, I'm going to have the perfect marriage, the perfect job, and it's all going to work out great. And then all of a sudden, you have one of those sideways moments where you find out, like in uh, what you're writing about here, a friendship goes belly up, and then you're like, well, what do I do? What 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 happened? Um, Talk about what the the genesis was of this for you in particular. I mean, we've all lost friends, but uh, talk about your story in this regard. Sure. Well, as I was working on this book, um, I thought back on my own friendship experiences. Friendship is super important to me. I am the kind of person who I I want to keep my friends forever and ever. Amen. You know, yes. <laughs> I mm -hmm. want to be with you for always and forever. And yet I've had my share of struggles and friendships. I've had friendships drift apart over the years where you just sort of look up and one day it's been six months, a year, two years, and you're like, wait, what happened? Where'd you go? Are we over? I've had, um, you know, just different misunderstandings that just haven't gotten worked out at different times. And Part of what I did in writing this book is I I interviewed a lot of other women and just said, hey, what's your experience been like in this regard? Have you been through this? And every single woman I talked to said, yes, I have been through this. And it's so painful. It brings up a really complicated and miserable concoction of emotions from shame to guilt to regret, insecurity, especially as a Christian, someone mm -hmm. who is committed to loving others and trying to forgive and work out conflict. So uh, the more I dug into this, the more I thought, wow, this is something that nobody wants to need. And yet we all do need it. Yes. Elizabeth Lang Thompson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and maybe, I like how you put that into parenthetically, uh, maybe helping letting go. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How do we take inventory when we start? I mean, how do you assess what a friendship that might be fading versus one that's completely gone? That's a great question. And the truth is it's a little tricky. And I think it takes a lot of prayer and honest reflection. Sometimes it just takes time to sort of sift through and think through. We have to ask ourselves questions like, is this a friendship that 
can be restored, that should mm-hmm. be restored, that can go back into a healthy dynamic? Or is this a friendship that perhaps was just seasonal, that God brought into your life as a blessing to see you through a certain time of life when you and that friend really needed each other? But then maybe life has brought you to different places, taken you to different places, and it's okay to move forward. It's okay to move on, to wish each other well. There are all those difficult, tricky dynamics that we have to sift through and pray through to make those decisions. You have some great biblical examples in your book, When a Friendship Falls Apart, that talk about very well-known stories that perhaps we've read historically. We've read, uh, especially the Old Testament stuff, where we understand what happened you know, in sequence and how it impacted other people. But then when you put the friendship or the relationship component in, then all of a sudden it really does kind of change the dynamic a certain uh, to, to a certain extent. And I, I don't want to get too quickly into the, well, this is the Western church, so Elizabeth has three points for us to identify the problem and to fix the problem and then live happily ever after, because as the subtitle of your book says, sometimes you need help just saying, okay, that was a season and the season's over and I'm holding on to something that isn't there anymore. How do we begin, once we've made this assessment, to kind of start repairing. I mean, we would like to think if it's a, you know, Hallmark movie that somebody goes out for coffee with somebody else and they start to ask questions, but I'm sure it's not nearly that simple. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, because there's two people involved, two people with a history Uh and with their own set of, we all have our issues, right? We all have our baggage that we bring into any conflict or any friendship. And so the trickiest part is I think that both people have to be willing to do the hard work of saying, okay, what went wrong? How did I hurt you? How did you hurt me? I'm sorry, you're sorry. (laughs) And sometimes both people are willing and sometimes they're not. And thank goodness you touched on this. Scripture gives us a lot of examples, um, both good and bad, Mm -hmm. of godly men and women who struggled in their friendships. And we see some of them come to a positive resolution like Jacob and Esau, after many, many years, they came back together. Paul and Barnabas, two of the greatest leaders of the early church, they had a huge disagreement, parted ways, broke up their ministry partnership, and were sort of left hanging. We don't don't quite know if they resolved it. We get a hint that perhaps they did in one of Mm -hmm. Paul's letters, but I appreciate that God is so honest with us as we try to evaluate and ask those hard questions and embark upon those difficult conversations. Yeah, I think about Abraham and Sarah as one too that, uh, that, that we can look at. I will never forget teaching about, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the, the 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 Isaac and, you know, that that type of, you know, the, the up on the mountain. And then after I finished up, I was a Bible study one Wednesday morning and a older woman who taught Sunday school in our class pulled me aside and said, you realize that, uh, uh, you know, Abraham and Sarah were done. At that point, I said, "What do you mean done?" He goes, "Notice where he had to go to bury her. It was that they were, you know, I mean, this this whole I'm hearing from God and being obedient to God. I mean, how many marriages go through this? You know, where there's a season where there's you know some kind of repair, and we're seeing more and more of this. Uh, Elizabeth Lang Thompson, the the idea that husband and wife sometimes go through this kind of conflict where you're going, "Hey, wait, I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. How do I repair this relationship?" So I love the fact that in the second part of the book you talk about attempting repair, not necessarily guaranteeing that you've got these steps that are going to take you forward. 
Exactly. I think, you know, our responsibility is not to determine the outcome, but we put in the best that we can do. We act with integrity and humility, compassion. We try to believe the best about the other person, give them a chance to explain if there's been a misunderstanding. But then we have to sometimes, there. that's where that maybe letting go part comes in, where the other person has to make some choices as well. And right. What I often do is I invite the Holy Spirit and I just say, you know, especially if the misunderstanding is with a friend who's a believer and I just say, Spirit, I know that you want the two of us to be unified. Please come in and help us and show us a way forward through this conflict. Yeah. I'm Elizabeth Lang Thompson, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Brand new book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart. Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help in Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Invariably, if there's been a breakup, if you will, in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or maybe a church relationship, or, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people who uh, move from one church congregation to the next because of maybe some kind of disagreement or something like that. I've seen that too in your own experience. Um, you're Now, all of a sudden, you're you're dealing with some hurt, some bruising, maybe some brokenness, as it were. Um, is the goal at that point then to try to repair the broken or is it, you know, a lot of people still carrying around a lot of beat up pieces going, Hey, this is me. I don't, I don't know what to do with all these pieces. How, wh what do you do with that? Elizabeth Lang Thompson. That's such a great question. You know, I think our goal is, is healing. Mm -hmm. Our goal is a sense of resolution before God and, ideally with the other person, you know, even when we are unable to achieve a full reconciliation with that person, meaning, Hey, we are close again. We have completely resolved our differences and renewed our friendship to what it was. Sometimes that's possible and it's beautiful. It honors God when we are able to achieve that. Sometimes it's not possible and it's not even best for various reasons. It's just, there's an unhealthy dynamic that can't quite be overcome. I think that's when we seek resolution and we mm. seek peace with the other person. We wish them well. We seek to resolve the lack of forgiveness in our heart to release bitterness to God. And that's a whole big thing. I think I've got like three <laughs> chapters on that because it's hard. Our yeah. friends come in those vulnerable, squishy places in our hearts. So when we're hurt, the bitterness can be a real struggle. Yeah, but That's our goal is that sense of resolution. I love it. Elizabeth Lang Thompson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news that we're talking about here is when a friendship or a relationship that's close like a friend uh, starts to bust up a little bit and you want to restore it. Somehow you want to see it restored. Uh, there is a path for healing and forgiveness. But there also is perhaps a time to say to everything there is a season and maybe it's time to let that friendship go. Author Elizabeth Lang Thompson addresses that uh, powerful proposition in a brand new book called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Plan for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Letting Go. We'll take a, I've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we'll start taking your calls right now. We do have one copy of this book to give away. I know this is Good News Friday and the book might come across as a, well, what, how do you kick somebody to the curb in a friendship? But I like the way Elizabeth handles this topic and says, look, there's a time for healing. There's a time for reconciliation, but there may be a time when that relationship has kind of run its course and you need to kind of step away from it. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. By the way, Tamara just handed me a note. We have not one but two copies of this book to give away. So you just doubled your chances of winning. You're welcome. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to be talking more about friendships, how to preserve them, how to restore them when there's healing and reconciliation needed, whether you are the offending party or someone has offended you. And in this next segment, we're going to get into how do you know when it's time to let go of a friendship and how can you do so in a godly fashion? We'll talk about that with author Elizabeth Lang Thompson coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Elizabeth Lang Thompson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We've got a link for lizzylife.com up there as well. Uh, we find out uh, more about her. She's the author of many books for women and teens. Um, we've had her on the program many times before. And for those who are watching along with us at myhopenow.com, it's nice to actually have uh, the visual uh, for both of us. I think people do listen with their eyes more and more these days. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, Elizabeth, the, the idea that you are uh, writing about a subject that a lot of people are, you know, kind of dealing with right now in a lot of different ways. 
And because God's original intent and original plan was for the relationships that we all had to be perfect and sin entered the camp all those years ago. And so now we're kind of, in many cases, I think, dealing with a situation that we don't really fully understand how to deal with because we weren't designed to have to do it. You know, we kind of have to learn how to do it. We, we talk a lot about healing, but I think one of the biggest things that holds people back in relationships is the fact that they'll say, well, I'm willing to forgive, but that person won't, or that person's trying to get my forgiveness, but I just can't give it to them. And I get the sense, and you write about this in the book, that maybe what we need to do is go back to square one and say, well, what is forgiveness in the first place before we can move forward? How do you define that in this book? Exactly. I, forgiveness is really fun to talk about in theory because it sounds so holy and righteous and yet it's really difficult to do in practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so for me, what has been helpful in my times when I have needed to forgive others is to dismantle some of the myths. I think sometimes we tell ourselves things like, well, I can't forgive until this other person really understands mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. they hurt me. And would it be helpful? Would it be healing if the other person did make an effort? If they, if that's the situation you're dealing with, they hurt me and the friendship fell apart. Um, would that be helpful for them to acknowledge how much they hurt you? Of course it would. But does that always happen? No, it doesn't. And yeah. I find it helpful to remember Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ yes. died for us, yes. that God provided a path to forgiveness for us before we ever even knew we had hurt him, before we ever knew we needed to change. And so we are, thanks to the grace of Jesus, able to pay grace forward in a way and um, forgive others with or without the apology. And that's actually very empowering because it means your forgiveness is no longer dependent on anything your right. friend says or does. Right. Your forgiveness is a holy offering that you make to God. And it's beautiful to have it right there because we know perfectly whatever we are, you know, offering or asking for or whatever, God's going to process it the right way. Human beings are fallible. We're going to, we're going to take things. Oh, I didn't, you, I didn't know you meant it like that, you know, or it was a text message and you put the wrong inflection on it or this, that, and the other thing. Uh, do you ever get to the point, Elizabeth, where you're talking with someone who says, I've got this friendship that's fallen apart. It's kind of wearing me out. And I think I just need to take a step back from it. I mean, when is that the appropriate time to do? Because oftentimes, I mean, I know I'm, I'll be the first to admit it. If I'm taking a step back, usually I'm taking a step back with a lower lip sticking out going, gosh, you know, like I don't like that. I'm feeling kind of hurt. So I'm going to take a step back and see if anybody notices. But sometimes, and you advocate this in the book, we do kind of need a break from relationships. Yes. I do think there are situations where things get so heated and so convoluted that neither of you can think straight and you just both kind of need to take a break, you know, go to your different corners, catch right. your breath, mm -hmm. spend some time in prayer and reflection, pondering, Hey, what's going on here? What am I really feeling? What actually happened? Am I overreacting? Am I underreacting? What's the problem? Sort of sifting through separately without having to constantly continually navigate the actual relationship if that is your goal, that can be a positive thing. But I, I would say we don't want to step back like it, as a passive aggressive move, like, well, right, right. you know, you hurt <laughs> me. So guess who's getting the silent treatment now? Mm -hmm. I'm taking a step back. That's yeah. not a godly reason for taking a step back. However, if we need some space to process and then come back and maybe attempt those reconciliation conversations later, that can be a really helpful thing.
That's good. Elizabeth Lang Thompson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. When a Friendship Falls Apart is the name of the new book, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, I was watching a uh, some kind of movie. My wife and I were just kind of killing some time one weekend not too long ago. And there was a character who had been kind of beat up, maligned, you know, emotionally, spiritually, all their whole lives. And they really kind of gotten their act together, showing a lot of fear and trepidation about having a conversation with someone they knew. And I was a parent or something like that. And the, the lines were, and I'm paraphrasing here, I, I'm, I don't know how this is going to go because we have had such an unhealthy relationship. I'm afraid that when I show up healthy, when I show up with more healing and, you know, mended about that, they're not going to recognize me or they're not going to receive me. What, what, there's a risk involved, isn't there? You know, in saying, okay, I want to be healed. I want to, you have a whole section on living mended. There's a risk involved to it, but it's well worth the effort in the end, isn't it? It is. I think it's always worth trying to get resolution and peace because yeah. for me, the most miserable part of conflict is that sense of this is hanging over my head. It's, it's, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're feeling. I feel weird. Right. That's such a miserable place to be. So it's worth at least trying to have some of those conversations where you come to some sort of conclusion, agreement, <laughs> resolution, yeah. but it is scary. I mean, I nearly hyperventilate to be completely honest before mm. I have those conversations. Uh -huh. And yet I try to pray myself to that place because they are worth having. So let's talk about the interpersonal relationships, especially as it pertains to family. I've only got a couple minutes left, so I won't put you on too much of the spot here, but we just made it through Thanksgiving. We're coming up on, you know, uh, Christmas season where there's always that, do I invite this person? Do I not invite that person? Is there some kind of distance between dad and son or mother and daughter or, you know, whatever it is? How do you recommend we move forward knowing that there are some friendships that are kind of falling apart and they're parent child friendships you know there's that kind of relationship how do you recommend we move forward trying to live mended but also respecting the fact that yeah there's been some damage done here yeah i think again here's where prayer is our biggest the biggest tool we have in our arsenal just to guide our steps to calm our hearts to so many times there are things you aren't able to say to people for various reasons, they can't hear it. They're not there. Right. They're not willing to talk to you, but you can air those things out with God in advance and sort of get yourself to a healthy place, regardless of what the situation is yeah. or where the other person is. Yeah. You can kind of prepare yourself for here's how I'm going to respond. Here's how I'm going to be. And I think prayer is our biggest tool that we have in those tricky situations. What is your prayer for this book? I mean, we, we were talking about, you know, how you that you really are trying to scale a mountain here that uh, some people, you know, it, it might just be a molehill that's actually keeping a friendship uh, apart or, or fractured. What, what is your hope for someone who gets a hold of this book and says, wow, I, I've got some work I need to do. How do I use this most effectively? My prayer is really for healing and that healing may look different in every situation, but my yes. prayer is that you find a sense of resolution and peace in your own heart so that you are able to move forward into healthy friendships in the future, not living hampered and mm -hmm. like with a lot of this baggage that comes up and messes up your future friendships. So just healing in yourself wherever possible. I absolutely pray that healing will take place between broken friendships. 
Um, but where that's not possible, I just pray that God gives you a sense of resolution of knowing that you are safe in his care. He has great plans and a, a wonderful friendship future in mind for each of us, even if we have some difficulty in our past. Boy, that's, that is so good to hear. And I know that a lot of our listeners needed to hear that. If there's a friendship that's kind of fractured right now and you need to let go of it and mourn it appropriately and move forward, this is a great resource to have. But if there's one where there's just kind of a constant nagging thorn in the flesh, if you will, um, th you'll find some great tools in Elizabeth Lang Thompson's new book to, uh, to help deal with those kinds of issues. The book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elizabeth, thank you for going into the weeds on this one and helping us with a really tough subject, but get some biblical clarity as to what forgiveness and healing and reconciliation looks like. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today on The Bottom Line, too. Nice to have you with us on the Thank program. you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's always great to get time on the air here with Elizabeth Lang Thompson to talk about the books that God is giving her to write. Her most recent one is up at thebottomlineshow.com, as I mentioned. It's called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. By the way, uh, we did this interview on Zoom. You could probably tell by the quality, a little bit different than our regular broadcast studio quality because we're both on our computers. But that means the video is up at thebottomlineshow.com and I encourage you to uh, check it up. At, uh, well, the video link is from myhopenow.com, but you can find both of them at thebottomlineshow.com. Take a look at the, take a gander, if you will, at the video that's up there. With my conversation with author Elizabeth Lang Thompson, we do have two copies of this book, not one, but two copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line for the copy of the book by Elizabeth Lang Thompson called When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize the believers, the ones who receive it, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go into all nations and baptize. I mean, it, it's, a, it's part and parcel with who we are as Christians. And yet, for some reason, you may be part of a church that doesn't really engage in this all that much. Well, there's a church in South Carolina that uh, really put God to the test with regard to how many believers would come to faith and baptize faith in Christ. And on the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at the remarkable total that happened just this last weekend, where there were hundreds of people baptized literally in one day. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to author Elizabeth Lang Thompson for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Lang, by the way, is spelled L-A-I-N-G. And uh, you can go to her website, which we have linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, her website is uh, Lizzie Life, L-I-Z-Z-Y, Life. Um, her new book is called When a Friendship Falls Apart. And it's not a very uh, comforting title, <laughs> but I mean, maybe there's a certain level of comfort in that uh, you and I both know that some relationships just have a shelf life. And uh, it's, it's wild when you go through um, something like that and experience uh, what it is to be that person who says, okay, um, it's over. You know, if you like uh, Elizabeth Lang's work, we've talked about when God says wait, and also her book, All the Feels, Discovered Why Emotions Are Mostly Awesome and How to Untangle Them When They're Not. This new book, When a Friendship Falls Apart, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, but two copies of this book to give away. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, I should remind you that we are on December the 8th today. Uh, today, we have, as of today, we have 23 days left in 2023. And we have a special opportunity available to you. And for the life of me, I'm not really sure why more bottom line listeners have not taken advantage of it as yet. Our friends at Preborn have a golden opportunity for us today to, I mean, Sometimes, you know, quite honestly, sometimes a friendship falls apart over the issue of, of whether to abort a child or not. I've spoken with a lot of Christians who said, wow, I had no idea. I remember talking to a very dear longtime friend of mine who uh, had been pretty passionately pro-life. And in her mother's dying years, uh, this young lady found out that her mom actually was pretty passionately pro-abortion, even though she was a professing Christian. And it's, it's fascinating to me to see people who will look at that issue and the kind of separate it from, you know, we kind of become one issue voters, but also one issue believers, as it were, in the political world. And to see people who are so passionately feed the hungry, feed the poor, clothe the naked and, you know, visit the prisoner, this, that, and the other thing, but kill the preborn child in the womb is okay, doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. But one of the great equalizers, and I hope that you haven't lost a friendship over the issue of abortion. But one of the great equalizers doesn't involve you having to give this impassioned speech and pointing fingers and chest and this, that, and the other thing. It really is just an issue of one thing, and that is pictures, ultrasound pictures, 4D ultrasound pictures. Um, recently, my daughter Kaylee and her husband Kevin announced that they were expecting, and they are expecting, uh, granddaughter is, uh, let's see, granddaughter number one, two, three uh, for, for Lisa and me, uh, grand granddaughter number one on the biological side for yours truly and uh, she's due in April actually her due date is Easter Sunday which is kind of cool and it's been interesting as Kaylee's been she didn't go to social media until just this week and so she and her husband are super excited so congratulations Kaylee and Kevin for uh, you know your birth announcement as it were and her older sister who's also expecting uh, in March uh, put up finally it's about time you know we've, we've known about this since the end of the summer and just kind of sitting here going really want to tell everybody really want to share everyone but we can't but when you look at those images of the baby and we can tell that uh, the little girl their working name right now is Natalie I realize a lot of things might happen we just call her baby Z because Kaylee Zabanta um, she had <laughs> Kay texted me the other day she was the baby was moving around in the womb and they were getting ultrasounds and trying to catch pictures and heartbeats she said, she said dad She's very active and she has very big feet, just like her mother. And we all got a good chuckle. But you know what? You could see the feet. I mean, this was the six-month scan or the 20-week scan or whatever it is. And you could see this human being in the womb. The ultrasound, the initial ultrasounds that preborn does for pregnant women are a game changer because they, they show the sanctity of human life in the womb. And you can hear that heartbeat at six weeks. You can see the baby's gestational growth. And in the same way that you don't take the ingredients of something you're baking and then throw it away and say, well, it's just a bunch of ingredients. You say, oh man, I, would have, I was looking forward to that, whatever I was going to make. Um, God has knit this child together in the womb and basically is, is saying, you know, I, I've given life to this person and I have hopes and dreams for a future for this child. Sometimes those that future might be relatively short depending on physical conditions that happen 
because of sin in the world, because there's disease in the world, because of the sin, um, it does happen. And yet all every life that God makes in the womb is precious and we don't have the right to end that life. Now, there are a lot of women who see the ultrasound and go, oh my gosh, that's a baby. What was I thinking? And then they put the child up for adoption. That's a great option that the abortion industry doesn't want you to know about. They want the baby dead. They want to harvest the organs. They, that, that's big business for them. But preborn makes it possible for us to give a gift in support of their ministry. A $28 donation literally saves a baby's life. 56 saves two babies. We had four grandchildren as of the end of this year, so we give a monthly gift of uh, $112, uh, which is four for four ultrasounds. Next year, we're going to have to change that and add a couple more because we've got a couple more grandchildren on the way. But that's the way Lisa and I give. I would encourage you to do the same. And I really want to encourage you to do the same today because we have a matching gift in place. It's a double match. So when you give a gift to preborn, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, B-A-B-Y, your $28 donation becomes 56 your $56 donation becomes 112. If you want to save five babies' lives, that's 140, but then preborn has a match in place that makes it 280. You get the idea. This doubling gift, it's a total gift from God. If you've ever wanted to see your contribution to a ministry, I can't think of a better time or place to do this. It's 100% of the money goes to the ultrasounds. They do fundraising somewhere else to pay their rent, utilities, salaries, and stuff like that. So when you make a $1,000 donation to preborn today, for example, it will be doubled to 2000 and every penny of that goes to providing ultrasounds for women who come in and want to see the ultrasound. And the way preborn presents the ultrasound technology and the pictures and stuff like that is they also have a gospel presentation that goes along with it. And last year, 10,000 women came to Christ because of the ministry of preborn. For all the times that you have made donations to your church or to other organizations and you weren't quite sure where the money was going to, you weren't quite sure what kind of impact it was going to have, this is a sure thing. But the only way you can take advantage of the match, it's kind of like salvation. God has this gift of salvation for all who will believe that Jesus is the Christ, place their faith and trust that his death and resurrection pays the penalty for their sin and guarantees them eternal life with God. But you have to receive the gift, right? In this case, you have to trust that that doubling match is going to, in fact, accomplish what it's said to accomplish. All I can say is join with the hundreds of other Bottom Line Show listeners this year who have given nearly $100,000 to this cause and know that we have an open, uh, that the ministry has provided for us, Preborn has, an open-ended doubling match between now and the end of the year. If you're looking for a great tax-deductible donation, maybe there's somebody who's hard to buy a Christmas present for and you don't know what to do, but you say, you know what? I could put money toward an ultrasound machine. Now, the ultrasound machines are a little higher ticket. They're $15,000. But if we had 15 Bottom Line Show listeners who gave $1,000 each, that's another uh, ultrasound machine donated. But time is running out. Pick up the phone, call today. 833-850-BABY is the number to call preborn and make your best donation knowing that it's automatically going to do have twice the impact because it'll be doubled by this matching gift. 833-850-2229. Mention the bottom line show when you call or go online to kbrightradio.com and click on the banner for preborn and give your best gift today. <sighs> okay, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, I mentioned the whole issue of going to all the world and preach the gospel and baptize. There was a mass baptism 
at a megachurch in South Carolina over the weekend. How big was this? We'll talk about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. December is the month we celebrate the birth of Christ, and when we think about the birth of Christ, it was technically an unplanned pregnancy, at least as far as Mary and Joseph were concerned. The angel Gabriel had other ideas, of course, and we know that the birth of Christ ushers in God's plan for salvation for you and for me, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Why not, during this Christmas season, give a gift in support of a ministry that celebrates the gift of life and the gift of eternal life as well? Preborn is the ministry that offers you the opportunity to have a free ultrasound performed on a pregnant mom, and all she has to do is come in, get that pregnancy test, and have the ultrasound done, and then find out what her options are, how far along she is. 85% of the time a woman comes to a preborn clinic, she keeps her child or releases that child for adoption. The abortion clinics don't want you to know about the adoption option. And right now, your $28 donation to preborn is doubled thanks to a special matching grant that's in place right now through the end of the month. Call 833-850-BABY to make your best donation completely tax deductible and 100% of the money donated to Preborn today goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-2229, that spells B-A-B-Y, or give a gift online when you go to cambrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner and make your best tax deductible donation. Do it today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're still taking your calls for those two copies of Elizabeth Lang Thompson's book on friendship, and specifically, When a Friendship Falls Apart, Finding God's Path for Healing, Forgiveness, and Maybe Help Letting Go. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com if you want to take a look at it. We've got two copies, not one, but two copies to give away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. Upstate Church, previously known as First Baptist Church of Simpsonville, South Carolina, recently held a worship service, and they announced to the congregation that they were going to be baptizing, and so they put the word out saying, if you want to be baptized in the service on that Sunday, you can do it. So 86 people said that they wanted to do it, and this is a pretty good number considering... The church has uh, six campuses now in and around Simpsonville, and they've got about 7,000 members. So there were 86 people who had signed up to be baptized in the church, thought that's really cool. When their lead pastor, Wayne Bray, got up to begin the baptism, though, he said, basically what we thought, we, we, we knew that we would be kind of excited you know, to see the number of people who were new believers coming in to be baptized. We didn't think it'd be 86. We thought that was so high, and we were man, we were all, we were on it, you know, we were thinking this is going to be a great day, Sunday, December 3rd, fabulous day. We've been preaching on Acts chapter two. We've basically been living in the book of Acts. And when the Holy Spirit came down, we thought this is great. By the way, the most baptisms the church had ever done in a single day was 35. So 86 just blew that out of the water. But then it got even better. During the services, when they announced the baptisms, as people were being baptized, more people started coming forward. 55 more people just spontaneously by the power of the Holy Spirit came forward. 141 baptisms in one day. I know that um, it, it's incredible. Um, the Christian Post reached out to Pastor Greg Laurie and they asked him about what was going on here. And he said, you know, I'll tell you what, we've done big ones like at Pirate's Cove. We've had like 4,500 people. But in all honesty, even we at Harvest Christian Fellowship haven't had that many people show up at a worship service to be baptized. That's really incredible. 
And what's interesting about this is when you think about it, what is the Great Commission? A lot of people think it's go out and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? That you're a sinner, you need salvation, you can't save yourself, but Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and he came to be the substitute for you and for me on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin so that not only is the debt paid, but the sins wiped away from our record. We are given the charge to go and sin no more and preach the gospel, to show everybody what God has done for you. You preach that gospel and then Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize those who believe it and receive it. And I'm not suggesting that you don't become a Christian until you get baptized, but I am suggesting that if you have had the transformation in your heart, you can't wait to find water like the Ethiopian eunuch and say, hey, Philip, there's water right here. What's keeping me from being baptized? Having this many people, this one church gives me hope, gives me encouragement, and I hope you are encouraged as well. That is definitely good news, my friends, at First Baptist Church in Simpsonville, South Carolina. Good news that we'll post up at thebottomlineshow.com. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon and the rest of your weekend. Uh, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. On the other side of this break, we were talking about pre-born and the sanctity of human life and when it comes down to uh, abortion and this, that, and the other thing. On the other side of this break, there was a forum held recently with three of the top candidates for the Republican nomination to unseat Donald Trump as the GOP nominee for a president in the 2024 election. And in this forum, two of these guys in particular shared a story about how each of their families had been impacted by miscarriage and the role that faith played in their families grieving and recovering. Now, one of these guys is a Christian, one of these guys is a Hindu, so of course we're not too interested in the Hindu version. But on the other side of this break, we'll talk about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and how his family experienced a miscarriage and how their faith in Christ got them through it. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show, or maybe it's welcome to this <laughs> Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show, depending on when you get a chance to hear us on the terrestrial uh, side of the equation. I'm Roger Marsh, your Good News Guide for every Friday's program. Well, actually, Monday through Friday here on the Bottom Line Show. But for the past several years, and I honestly don't remember how far back Good News Friday began, um, this has been one of the, the constants of the Bottom Line Show programming, and it's one of the most popular segments that we do. We hear from listeners all over the country who listen to the program and love the Good News segments. And the idea with Good News Friday is really very simple. It's to bring to your attention good news about the good news as it plays out in our secular society. So understanding, of course, that, that there are certain realities that we have to embrace as Christians who live in the United States and live in the world in 2023, soon to be 2024, if you can believe it. The, uh, the first order of business is that we live in a culture that is no longer dominated by a biblical worldview. Um, it, it's, it's very common for those of us in the baby boomer generation and the greatest generation to say we need to get America back to what it used to be, God and country, good Christian nation, and, uh, and, and we like the idea of that. The reality is America was founded on biblical principles. It was not necessarily founded as a Christian nation, but rather it was founded as a nation whose design, I mean, intentional design, was to be a place of religious liberty. And though we have forebears from Europe who came to the U.S. looking for uh, religious freedom, the religious freedom we have does not then in turn force us to force our religious uh, viewpoints, if you will, on other people. And 
And I think that's good news. If you hear me out on this, because I know there's some people like, for example, the Christian Post ran a, a piece about uh, uh, the last presidential debate on the GOP side. And then, of course, uh, that was on the 17th of uh, what well, it was earlier in November. And then on the 17th, there was a family leaders Thanksgiving family forum. And then, of course, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida debated Governor Gavin Newsom of California last Thursday. And that was kind of a sparring match. You know, it was a, it was a 2028 preview for sure. But the, the, the name of the game for a lot of people with regard to that was, is this potentially a 2024 campaign matchup? Because is it possible Ron DeSantis would in fact get enough popular su support on the GOP side to become the presidential nominee? And would Gavin Newsom, as we've speculated here, uh, wind up getting the Democrat nod? Now, in all honesty, I mean, let's be real. Donald Trump is still very popular among GOP voters. Is he popular enough to defeat any sitting Democrat? We are told, the polls tell us time and time again, if the rematch for 2020 from the 2020 election were held for the 2024 election, Donald Trump would win by anywhere from three to seven points over Joe Biden. Now, Democrats aren't going to let that happen. You know that. I know that. Uh, their, their best bet is to put Donald Trump on trial, to get him indicted, to get all sorts of charges be brought against him. The idea being that if they can keep him in the headlines through the election, but not let him run for the election, then they win because the media outlets do better when Donald Trump's name's in the headlines. I mean, it's just, it's a reality. Either people love the guy or hate the guy. And so for those who hate him, he's still big business. You know, let's talk about the boogeyman. You know, earlier this week, it was interesting. Looking at the advent candle, and uh, the, the first candle that is lit during Advent, all this week we've been focusing on hope. What's interesting is the term hope in the Greek, uh, Elpis, doesn't necessarily have a positive or negative connotation. It's kind of like the word jealousy in Scripture. And the, the, the je word for jealousy in Scripture also has the same root word as zealousness. And it just means an intense passion. It doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other. Uh, biblical jealousy, the way I describe it, is it can either be something that is used for bad. Uh, you have something I want and I want it. And since you have it and I don't have it, then I don't want you to have it. Or it can be good. You know, how many times does God say, I am a jealous God? God wants what's best for us. And he knows that he is what's best for us. And so therefore, uh, we want what our jealous God wants for us because it's always good. Well, the same way that jealousy has a positive and negative connotation, so does the word hope have a positive. It just means the expectation of what is certain. If it's impending doom and it's certain, then, I mean, that's why people like watching horror movies, right? Oh, no, they're going to get, oh, no, stay away from the chainsaw. Ah! You know, I mean, it's a controlled way of looking at something that is potentially going to be bad, and you have that certainty it's going to be bad. The question is, how is the main character going to work out of it? Much easier to deal with that in a scripted drama than it is in real life when you're facing, oh gosh, we got behind on the mortgage. The hope that we have here, the expectation of what is certain is that if we don't get caught up, we're going to lose the house. That's, a, that, I mean, that's what hope actually does mean, whether positive or negative. Now, in the Christian sense, 54 times the New Testament, the word hope is attached to our salvation. It's attached to the return of Christ. It's the reason we celebrate the Advent season in the first place. And, and so that's a little, you know, when it comes to hope, there is much more likeliness that the hope of Gavin Newsom for Democrats running for president will be there before uh, Ron DeSantis gets the nod. And, and quite frankly, Governor DeSantis, formerly Congressman DeSantis, 
I think has the perfect uh, pedigree to be the president because of what he's experienced. Gavin Newsom was the mayor of San Francisco. He became what the, uh, was he lieutenant governor in California for a while? And then when Jerry Brown termed out again, Gavin Newsom ran for governor. He's never been in Congress. He's never been in a state legislature. He really doesn't understand how those chambers work. I still think of Bill Clinton in his uh, exit interview with the now disgraced Charlie Rose on PBS right before the end of his second term. And he had been the governor of, of Arkansas, but then he you know, came into the, to prominence in the U.S. And, and to be fair, remember what was going on in 1989, 1990, where we went through a horrible recession and Republicans were mad at George W. George H.W. Bush. And, and so the, the rallying cry at his, uh, it was at the 1991 uh, State of the Union address was read my lips, no new taxes. And then they went ahead and raised taxes anyway. But there was a flank in the, in the Republican government that said, hey, wait a minute, it's the economy, stupid. I mean, that, that was what the people wanted to see straighten out. And H.W. Bush, didn't, his team didn't get it on the messaging side. Texas billionaire Ross Perot did. And what they did not necessarily was to, you know, Perot didn't defeat H.W. What he, in essence, did was open the door for the then, what, 43-year-old governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton, to come in, get 43% of the popular vote, and become the president of the United States, 42nd. And you know what's interesting about the Clinton presidency? For all the Democrats who said, oh, we need new blood, we need a new uh, you know, fresh leadership, and it's the economy, stupid, we need to fix the economy. You do realize that at that time, Arkansas had the worst economy of any state in the union. As a matter of fact, they ranked 51st out of 51 when you include the District of Columbia. So Democrats with a straight face looked at Republicans and said, here's the solution that we have to get the economy back on track. We're gonna grab the governor who has guided his team to last place in the Growing My Economy contest and make him the chief executive officer of the United States of America. Brilliant strategy, <laughs> brilliant. But I remember at the end of his second term in office, Charlie Rose asked him, do you have any regrets in White House? He goes, yeah, I regret not having been a senator or a member of Congress before I became governor and then running for president. He said, after having been governor, I should have run for senator just to see how this works. I got in here and I didn't know how this all worked. You know, George W. Bush ran into a similar situation when he ran for president, having been the governor of Texas and having actually presided over a state that's more purple than red. A lot of people don't realize how purple Texas is. Equally, you know, no, equal number of blue and red counties in the Lone Star State. But he was able to reach across the aisle, the head of, I mean, basically the legislative leader in Texas at the time was a Democrat. George W. Bush ran as a Republican and was able to kind of bridge the gap. He came to Washington, D.C. and tried to do the same thing. And the Democrats just slapped his hand, you know, and they did that for four years. And even he recognized. So if you had to choose between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is better qualified. Navy SEAL, member of Congress, couple of terms in Florida, served as governor of the, let's see, the most populous states in the United States now are in order, California, Texas, Florida, and New York. So for all the people that say, boy, we need an Andrew Cuomo running for president because he was a governor of New York. Well, Ron DeSantis has him beat, governor of a larger state and having been a member of Congress. But it's interesting to see how the GOP has turned on Ron DeSantis. Uh, he did some fabulous work in the, the so-called don't say gay bill, which didn't say that at all. That was, again, Democrat propaganda to get you to not 
look at the bill objectively. Basically, what it was is the Parental Rights and Education Act that made sure that in Florida public schools, if you had a child in kindergarten, first, second, or third grade, they would not be exposed to anything with regard to sexual identity, sexual ideology, transgenderism, homosexuality. None of that stuff would show up in their textbooks. None of that would be discussed in the classroom without parental consent. And teachers who were gay would not walk around saying, well, some guy coming and going, my husband and I went shopping this weekend or whatever. Nobody needs to hear that. When you were growing up, did did you know if your first grade teacher had a spouse? Do you know, I mean, having grown up, my mom taught first grade for 30 years. If my dad ever stopped by to bring her lunch while she was at work, you know what the kids would say? Is that your dad? I mean, I never forget grocery shopping with my mom. And it was great to see these kids. Sometimes we'd be in the supermarket, one of her students and family would be there. And they look at her like, Mrs. Marsh doesn't, I thought she'd never left the classroom. I didn't realize that (laughs) she eats, she buys groceries. What the heck? You know, I mean, that, that's what a lot of kids think of when it comes to their teachers and their educators. And the parents should be having conversation with the teachers about what's being taught. And I think Governor DeSantis, if anything, on the so-called or the Parental Rights and Education Act didn't go far enough. Why did it stop at third grade? But the left lost its mind because it's Sodom and Gomorrah for the left. Hey, there's somebody new here. Bring them outside. We want to have, yeah, you get the idea. Well, I mentioned this is Good News Friday. And on the other side of this break, I want to give kudos to two of the Republican nominees for president. One of them, the aforementioned Governor DeSantis, and the other one, Vivek Ramaswamy, for what they shared at the Thanksgiving Family Leadership Summit with regard to some personal issues that were concerning their family and how they responded with faith. Now, it's important to understand that Ron DeSantis is a Bible-believing Christian and Vivek Ramaswamy is Hindu. So when they talk about their faith journey, helping them with a personal family tragedy, uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But having the conversation that they did in a faith-based situation, I think is very helpful for the culture and it's very encouraging. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. The good news that we're discussing today is about a difficult topic. But the good news, in fact, is that a couple of guys who are running for political office and the highest political office in the land brought it to the forefront, brought this issue to the forefront and gave people an opportunity to have a faith-based conversation about it. The two men are Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who is the uh, medical entrepreneur, multi-gazillionaire, 
who is also running for president. And he's, quite frankly, Ron DeSantis is running as a credible candidate. Vivek Ramaswamy is running for a cabinet position. He's in his early 30s. And he, I mean, I can't imagine Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy running the table at the GOP convention next year. I can't see that happening. Ron DeSantis can't hold his own, but the GOP establishment that now is established around Donald Trump does not want him getting in the way. And we're past the point where two men can run on the ticket. There's going to be a female vice presidential candidate, I predict. And if Donald Trump gets the nod, and quite frankly, right now, love him or not, there's nothing stopping Donald Trump from getting the GOP nomination. I think that's just a reality. Something could happen legally. There might be a court challenge that says he's not allowed to run anymore. But until that happens, Donald Trump looks like a shoe-in for the GOP nomination. And I don't think that's necessarily in the best interest of the GOP. Under the old school rules, Ron DeSantis, being his toughest competitor, would get the vice presidential nod. But that's not going to happen because Ron DeSantis is a white male. Instead, look for possibly Nikki Haley. She seems to have more national uh, oomph behind her. Though Christy Noem, the uh, governor of South Dakota, has already endorsed Donald Trump. Seems like she might be the most palatable, least obtrusive pick for Trump and Noem in 2024. And quite frankly, that ticket might have a chance of winning. But Family Leaders Thanksgiving Family Forum took place on November 17th, and it featured a couple of the uh, aforementioned candidates. There's a picture here of the event that we'll post up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Ron DeSantis was there. Vivek Ramaswamy was there. Nikki Haley, also there, former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Now, according to a poll taken between October 22nd and November 15th, I mentioned earlier Donald Trump's running away with this. He has a 47 percent of the support of the GOP. DeSantis is second at 17%. Third is uh, uh, Nikki Haley at 14%. Ramaswamy's at fifth. Uh, Tim Scott actually had 6%, but then he dropped out. Mike Pence dropped out. Uh, the governor of North Dakota has dropped out. And it's only a matter of time between before Ramaswamy and the other ones drop out as well. But at the Family Leaders Thanksgiving Family Forum, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, part, and it was an informal bent. Uh, there was an Iowa-based Christian conservative advocacy group that actually uh, ran this, the family organization, Bob Vanderplatz, Bob Vanderplatz, Plots and Company, uh, who likes Ron DeSantis, by the way. He's not, he was a Trump guy in 16. He's a DeSantis guy in 24. He was talking about uh, the fact that he and his wife, who do have a couple of young children, um, also have experienced um, uh, pregnancy loss. He said, here's how it happened. We were married, doing our thing, kind of young. I was in the Navy. My wife was a TV reporter. We wanted to have a family, and it just didn't happen at first. So we took a trip to Israel after he was first elected to the House of Representatives back in 2012. He said, we literally went to Shiloh with Hannah's prayer. We went to Ruth's tomb in Hebron. We prayed and prayed that we could have a family. Now, of course, if, you go to, if you're talking about Hannah's prayer, Hannah, of course, is the mother of Samuel, and she was the one who was barren and went and prayed and, uh, and, and asked God, if you'll give me a son, I will release him to your service, which she did. And uh, Samuel, of course, then that leads us to Saul and David, and, you know, it goes on from there. He said it was interesting. Um, we prayed. We prayed to have a family. We got back to the U.S. and found out we were pregnant, and shortly thereafter, we lost the baby. He said, you know, it's such a tough thing when you lose a child. But they kept their faith in God. They said, we just kept the faith. We kept praying. We knew that there would be a path. 
would lead us on and lo and behold short time after we had our first child we had a baby girl uh we've since added a a son and now we have a three-year-old daughter so we have a big full joyous household he said but quite frankly we needed to keep the faith we needed to keep trusting god that he had a family for us even after the first pregnancy ended in uh what technically is referred to as spontaneous abortion but it's a miscarriage what we call it now vivek ramaswamy same thing uh, this is a guy who uh, uh, said basically he and his wife uh, Aparuva uh, became pregnant during the fourth year of uh, her residency and that led to the couple to have a lot of excitement they said we were telling everybody told our parents we weren't expecting this blessing but we were so grateful for it and then one day she woke up and said I'm bleeding and she had a miscarriage and she, he said that we lost our first child that was the loss of a life it was our family's loss and uh, he said, our faith teaches us that our child is joined to his creator, and one day we will be too. And they started talking about the, the gift of God, et cetera, et cetera, for that. Now, I appreciate him mentioning the faith component. I really honestly do. And because we live in a country that has religious liberty, we have to understand that not everybody has a Christian faith. Some people have a Hindu or a Buddhist or Muslim faith or whatever. And from what I understand, Vivek Ramaswamy is Hindu. But the fact that these two men were willing to share the losses that they and their wives had gone through in experiencing miscarriage and then talk about the faith component as to what held their family together, I think it's worth noting. It's worth noting on a couple different levels. The first level, of course, is the fact that Ron DeSantis brings a biblical worldview to that loss and that grieving, whereas Vivek Ramaswamy brings a Hindu component. Secondly, then it gives us the opportunity as Christians to step into that dialogue and not vilify or condemn, but to do what? Weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And the fact that uh, these two guys were willing to share this in a public forum like this and make this a part of their story, how many thousands of other people, hundreds of thousands of people, literally millions of people can relate? There's no one good right way to grieve, I believe. But it is important to grieve. And I think that I'm grateful for Governor DeSantis for sharing, especially in his Christian faith, how that the Lord really steadied their hand, steadied their feet, and helped them to take the steps that were needed to, to be taken to follow through with that faith experience. I'm also grateful for the Ramaswamy family, too. I, I, my, my prayers to Almighty God on their behalf as they grieve the loss of their child, their worshiping and involving what they refer to as God the way that they understand it. But remember, I think that the, the point here now is not to be in the condemnation mode, but to be in the education mode instead. What does Paul say right before 1 Corinthians 13? After kind of scolding the Corinthian church for being sexually immoral and moving in the ways that they did, what does he say right before he gets into the so-called love chapter? He says, now let me show you a more excellent way. And may we as Christians do just that. Some final good news thoughts in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Preborn is the ministry we've been talking about all year long that provides free ultrasounds for women who are expecting. But one of the best things about the preborn ultrasound experience for a woman is oftentimes there are women who come to preborn, they see the ultrasound, all of a sudden they begin to realize, wow, this is a baby, not a cluster of cells. And what are my options? 
They find out that option number one, of course, is congratulations, you're a mother. Here in the People's Republic of California, they can also legally abort the child. But the third option is the one that you don't hear about at the abortion clinics, and that's releasing the child for adoption. Your $28 donation to Preborn right now will provide one ultrasound visit. A $15,000 donation will provide one ultrasound machine. And thanks to a special year-end gift here, a matching gift by a friend of the Ministry of Preborn, your gift today is doubled. Go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, click on the Preborn banner, and then make your best tax-deductible donation to Preborn. $28 saves one baby's life, $140 saves five, $280 saves 10, and $15,000 provides an ultrasound machine that can do 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. And every gift you make today will be doubled thanks to a special matching gift at Preborn. Learn more when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's never good news, obviously, when you hear about uh, a couple having a hard time getting pregnant, or maybe there was a pregnancy and then the pregnancy ended for whatever reason, whether it be through natural miscarriage or through uh, through you know someone choosing to terminate the pregnancy by using abortion. But you know, it's it's nice and encouraging to get the conversation going on a national level. I mean, it's been going for a while, but at a recent uh, presidential uh, kind of hopefuls event featuring Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, former South Carolina governor and former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, and current Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Governor DeSantis and Dr. Ramaswamy both mentioned the fact that they had uh, their families had experienced miscarriages and and that faith played a huge part in those uh, uh, the, the recovering process. Now, t- to be fair, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and his wife are Hindu. So when they talk about God, they're talking about something totally different than what uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and his wife Casey talk about. And the fact that uh, um, he is a man of Christian faith and he's talking about the God of the Bible. But the idea that they're recognizing that this is the sanctity of human life and that the child did not survive the pregnancy because of miscarriage is important uh, terminology to use because you and I know that's what really happens. But there are a lot of people in the world right now who, I mean, it's amazing, just even on the Kristen Post page, which we'll post at thebottomlineshow.com, to see the number of people are going back and forth and saying, well, abortion and miscarriage are the same thing and blah, blah, blah. They really don't get it. And I, I know I stress this often here on the Bottom Line Show. Um, our relationship with preborn is so very, very important. And right now we have a special matching gift in place. And I don't mind sharing this here because um, we've got a number of Crawford stations that are all carrying this. The past two weeks, we haven't had a single phone call for um, preborn. And it concerns me because as we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Christ and the good news that we share of the good news of the gospel. We also have good news that there's a special matching gift dollar for dollar in place right now. Your $28 donation to Preborn will provide one ultrasound visit, but because of the matching gift, that is doubled and now it provides two. Um, 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic hear the gospel. They determine that they're going to keep the child and they're either gonna release the child for adoption or raise the child on their own. Over 10,000 women came to faith in Christ last year because of preborn. This is such a golden opportunity for us as Christians to, and forget my 740 kid goal for a second here. The fact that the phone hasn't been ringing, I'm very concerned about. And so I share this with you in the fact that there is good news that we have this matching gift in place, but what good does it do if no one takes advantage of it? So this is a bit of a biblical exhortation here from Reverend Roger. Um, You have an opportunity to save not only lives, 
in terms of physical lives, but souls in terms of the mothers and the children that attend a preborn clinic. A $28 tax-deductible donation will be doubled right now. A $2,000 tax-deductible donation will also be doubled as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229, B-A-B-Y. Or go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com and follow the prompts for the preborn banner. It'll get you set up. If you're wondering how much is a good donation to make, Lisa and I have four grandchildren. So we have a monthly gift where we support four ultrasound appointments every month. It's really very simple. It doesn't take away from our regular tithe through our church. It's above and beyond. It, quite frankly, it works out to a little bit more than we'd spend going out to dinner once a week. So it's well worth the investment. How about you? How many grandkids do you have? How many children do you have? How many children do you have, uh, I hate to say it, that are in the same category as what the DeSantis family and the Ramaswamy family went through? Maybe you want to do it in memory of a child who will meet in heaven one day. Uh, give for the reasons that God is compelling you to give, but please know there's a special matching gift in place, and it's only in place for another three weeks. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who has $5,000 that can make the donation, and I think that'd be wonderful. A $7,500 donation actually would be matched dollar for dollar, and that would provide an entire ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic. When you show the mom the picture of the baby in the womb, 85% of the time she chooses life for the child because quite frankly, when you can see your child's face and your child can see yours, that's the beginning of the relationship. It's foundational. And you, that child is made in the image of you in the same way that you are made in the image of God. That is good news and that's the bottom line.